Welcome to the Life Together podcast. Life Together is a Wednesday gathering for worship, Bible study, and community at Discover Church in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. We hope that this week's message will encourage you and challenge you. Our mission here at Discover Church is to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. My four kids love them, love their creativity. I came home um, the other day and I saw that one of my children got a whiteboard marker and wrote on our front window, picture window of our house, which is fine. Like we do art stuff on the windows. You just wipe it off. It's fine. Um, But they wrote in big, bold letters that says, Jesus loves you. And I thought, oh, all the neighbors can see. Jesus loves you. My kids, I'm so proud of them. And the more I looked at the sign, Jesus loves you, the more I realized from the perspective of my neighbors, it wasn't Jesus loves you. Instead, they would have read, Oi, Sebel, Susage. And I love their heart. They wanted to share God's love with their community, with our neighbors, and with the people inside of our house, because we all need to hear it too. Um, and so their, their heart for sharing the good news was in the right place. But the message got lost in their method. The truth didn't change, but the me- message got lost in their method. I remember hearing a joke from a friend when I was in school. He was from Taiwan. And so his first language wasn't English, it was Taiwanese. And he came up to me and he was already laughing, like he was already cracking himself up. And he was like, Mandy, Mandy, I have a joke for you. And I was like, oh good, I'm ready to laugh at your joke. And he said, what do you get when you mix an elephant with a fish? And I was like, I don't know, what do you get when you get an elephant with a fish? And he goes, an elephant fish, <laughs> And the joke wasn't funny. <laughs> I'm sure in Taiwanese it was really punny, and it made sense, but the message got lost in the method of how it was delivered, and his heart was in the right place, but the message was lost. This is the same when we are sharing the gospel with our neighbors, with our family, with our friends. We've been going through this series where Paul has um, preached five sermons in five different cities throughout the book of Acts, and he's sharing the gospel, the truth of God, the truth about sin, the truth about Jesus, to five different cultures of people. And we see how Paul presents the gospel in a method where the message and the truth of Christ does not get lost to the people. He makes it relatable to the people around him. So the first week we, we went to the city of Antioch with Paul. And here Paul is teaching to the um, God-fearing monotheist. And he starts with scripture because everyone agreed in the room that there's one God and the scripture tells us about who God is. All he had to do is introduce the idea of Jesus as the Messiah to complete the picture. In the city of Lystra, Paul is preaching to superstitious polytheists. And he starts with relationships. He's like, we don't stand on the same scripture, but friends... In our differences, let me compel you to hear the story of someone who will change your life and bring health and life to your souls. In Athens, last week, we learned uh, that Paul preached to intellectual 
atheists. And here he talks about God from, from a reasoning, from a logic, because God created everything. And God is logical in the way that he's ordered creation. And he speaks their language, compelling them with the language of their hearts. And just as Paul is journeying through his world with the intention of sharing the gospel with clarity, we're journeying through our world to share the gospel with the clarity that God calls us to, with the power of his Holy Spirit, with the wisdom that he gives us to share the truth and the goodness of God's message of grace. God has strategically positioned you where you are. I'm not in your neighborhood, but you're in your neighborhood. My kids aren't in your school, but your kids are in their school. I don't work at your workplace, but you work at your workplace. People know your name. People know your story. People know your influence. People know your character. And God has given you this position of influence for such a time as this that you can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there it comes to the question, not must I, it's how do I do it in a way that is wise, in a way that's compassionate, in a way that's compelling. Let's pause here and pray. Father, we love you so much. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you that you speak to our hearts in our heart language. You know what we understand. You know our experiences. You know our constructs. You, are, you know the way that we process information. And you speak to our individual hearts, compelling us to draw near to you and to be in relationship with you. Help us, Lord God, to be filled with your wisdom and with your power to declare your truth with wisdom and compassion and in a way that draws people to Christ. We love you, Lord. Help us to learn tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going to start off here in Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 16. Luke writes, Paul had decided to sail on past Ephesus, for he didn't want to spend any more time in the province of Asia. He was hurrying to get to Jerusalem, if possible, in time for the festival of Pentecost. But when we landed at Miletus, he sent a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus, asking them to come and meet with him. I love this Paul. Paul was in a hurry to get somewhere. Have you ever been in a hurry to get somewhere? And someone interrupts that schedule. It's hard. And we all have this hurry. I think that it's easier to set aside time in our, in our calendars to say, okay, I'm going to go on this reach team here, and I'm going to go on this missions trip here, and I'm going to serve my, my church for these two hours, and I'm going to do a community outreach during this day for an hour and a half. But the rest of my life, I've, I've got a schedule to fill. I've got people to take care of. I've got responsibilities. And all these things are gifts from God. All these things are good things to do. But when God interrupts our schedule in our hurry and causes us to pause for something that's for the purpose of eternity. We need to listen to that. And here we see Paul is in a hurry. He's in a hurry to get back to Jerusalem. He'd been on this missions trip for a while now. It's his last missions trip, his third missionary journey. And he's traveled all throughout the province of Asia, all over the Mediterranean. And now he's on his way back in order to get to Jerusalem by the feast of Pentecost. It's like trying to get somewhere for Christmas. Only you don't have to just fly there or drive there. You need to like be on a boat for a couple days and then walk for several weeks and then maybe ride an animal or two. And that's Paul's journey. He was focused on getting where he needed to go. He was in his in a hurry. But I love in verse 17, Luke writes, "But 
When we landed in Miletus, he sent a message to the elders of the church of Ephesus, asking them to come and meet with him. And here we reach Paul's intended audience of our series for today. Who is Paul preaching to? He's preaching to believers. He's preaching to Christians. He's preaching to seasoned leaders of the church. As opposed to the un unbelieving, God-fearing monotheists or the polytheists or the atheists, Paul gets to share his heart with the same people who have the heart of Christ in, him, in them. The gospel has changed their life, has transformed them. They have accepted Christ as their Savior. They've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with power. They've been through persecution and suffering. They have built the church from the ground up. They have administered doctrine and communion and water baptism to people. And yet Paul stops his hurry to share the gospel of Christ with seasoned believers. These are leading believers in the early church. Um, in this passage, it's the only passage in the New Testament where it talks about the three different Greek words of leadership. And it's all in this same place. Paul addresses all types of leaders. He's um, he uses the word for elders or presbyters. He's speaking to people with some experience and living out the gospel and living life and doing life and building schedules and routines and having careers and having kids and grandkids and going through some stuff. These are seasoned people in life and in knowing Jesus Christ. These are people who have lived and fought and contended and toughened up and showed up for Jesus. So he's speaking to the elders of the church, those with experience. He's also appealing to them as overseers. These would be the guardians of the church, the people who say, this is false doctrine, don't follow it. These are the people who would stand up against someone who comes against the church, the body of Christ, and defends the church. This is the people who have the wisdom to speak out against policies and things that's coming at the church to cause harm and to lead Christians astray. These are the guardians of the church. He also calls them shepherds or pastors. These are the people who share compassion. They go on hospital visits and they hold babies who are new and they cry with people who are grieving and they celebrate with people who are celebrating. These are the pastors of the church. And he addresses all of those forms of leadership. And I know that not all of us in this room are, are like the leaders that Paul is talking to. He's talking to church leaders, bishops, presbyters, pastors. But if we pause and we ask ourselves, am I a believer? Do I follow Christ? Yes. God has strategically positioned you in a place that you can share the gospel. God has given you a place of influence. If you have anyone that you shepherd in your life, anyone looking to you for compassion or for wisdom or for care or for help, these are the people that God has put in your life that you have leadership over. God has called you to a place of influence. And my friend, God is preaching through Paul to you and to me today, no matter what leadership position you are in the church. If you have influence over others, you are a leader in the gospel of Christ. And I want you to ask yourself tonight, what area of influence has God entrusted you in your life? Who are you raising to know the gospel? Who are you raising to know Jesus better? Who are you calling to grow in their relationship with Christ? And as you have those voices and those faces come to your mind, let this be your prayer throughout Paul's sermon tonight is, Lord, how can I use my leadership to grow the gospel and the people you've entrusted to me? And all of a sudden, 
Paul is preaching to all of us, isn't he? We see that Paul was in a hurry, but he didn't brush by. He stopped, and he cared for the people that God had called him as he had influenced over over them. So here's our encouragement tonight as leaders is don't be in such a hurry that you forget to, to invest in the people that God has called you to. Sometimes we can be in such a hurry that we have to say no, no, no all the time when we just need to stop what we're doing and pause and set it aside for something that's more important, something that's more eternal than the things that we're working on in the moment. Maybe we need to calendar stuff. Maybe we need to set margin of, okay, I'm going to meet with somebody once a week, and we're going to read the Bible together. Or maybe I'm going to intentionally pray for this person and just ask them how they're doing on a phone call. Maybe I'm going to send someone a message and say, hey, how's it going? God put you on my heart. I just want to check in and see how you're doing. So how are you guarding those that God has entrusted to you? Reading on in verse 18, Luke says, when they arrived, Paul declared, you know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. Paul faced plots and trials. He wasn't paranoid. He actually faced plots of people trying to kill him and stone him, and they actually stoned him and pushed him out of cities and tried to kill him. He spent time in prisons for the things that he taught because he taught people publicly and privately the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't shrink back, and he knew it would hurt. I think about Jesus and the night before he died on a cross, and I'm, I'm struck by his prayer. He says, Father, if it's your will, let it be done. But if there's any way, could you please take this cup from me? If there's any other way. Jesus didn't want to suffer the way that he suffered because it was painful. It was heart-wrenching. And it was something that nobody ever wants to go through. But he did it because he was compassionate for the people he came to save for us. He did it for us. And that's what we see Paul doing here for his people of influence. We see Paul laying aside his time, his energy, his safety for the sake of sharing the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometimes there's disagreement in the church and sometimes people respond in ways that are hurtful. And this can be confusing and we might feel like we need to shrink back from those confrontational moments because we don't want to hurt people's feelings or we don't want our feelings to get hurt. And then all of a sudden when we when we keep shrinking back because something feels too difficult for us or too over our heads, then we start to take on a spirit of timidity. But that's not from God. God hasn't given us a spirit of timidity. And what does, what does timidity cause in your life? Timidity can look like self-doubt. What if I don't say the right thing? What if I don't say it in the right way? What if they reject what I say? What if I'm not smart enough to answer this question? Timidity might be the fear of persecution, the lack of promotion, losing, losing influence and title in our workplaces or in our families. I've known people who've gotten kicked out of their families, out of their workplaces, because they stood up for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Timidity may be the fear of rejection, of being ousted out of social circles, of being canceled from communities because we have a belief in who Jesus is and the power of the scripture at work in our life. The compassion in sharing the gospel overrides the feeling of safety that Paul has. He said the things anyway. He did the work 
anyway. And I feel that call in my heart. And I feel God calling you to come out of a place of timidity. And don't shrink back from the people and the message that God has put in your life. Verse 21 says, I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike. The necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. Paul allowed the message of the gospel to compel his compassion. He knew the message had the power to change people's lives. He knew that it was not only a good idea or like a good lifestyle to turn away from sin or things that harmed, but he said it's necessary to turn away from sin and to turn to God through faith in Jesus Christ. The message of the gospel isn't just a good idea, it's necessary. Paul goes on to say in verse 24, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. I love that he talks about the message first, and then he talks about the work next. Because I don't, you might be like me, it's easy to get lost in the work, and forget the why we do it in the first place. It's easy to hide behind the work, behind the productivity of our life, and forget why we do the work in the first place. Like there's there's just several different areas that I serve our church on Sundays and Wednesday nights. And so like when I come to church and I don't have any work to do and I'm just coming to bring my kids to church, I like I go through almost an existential crisis of like, oh, who am I, Lord? I'm not doing anything for the kingdom, and I'm not important, and all of those internal struggles. Anybody else in the room with me? We get lost in the work of the kingdom when we hide behind it, and we forget why we're doing the work in the first place. Don't forget the why of why you do something. The work is important, and the work is to tell others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. So if you're serving your family, if you're working in your home, don't forget the message that you're building in your kids. I serve you because I love you, but I love God first. That's the message of the gospel. I don't forget the message when you're you're going to work and you're having you're choosing to have a happy heart when everybody around you is doing too much. Yeah, and like are really cranky and your boss is having a horrible day and taking it out on you, but you choose to have a godly attitude and be respectful to your boss instead of like ah. <laughs> I think pastor was preaching about the difference between uh, being a thermostat or thermometer a couple weeks ago, and that really struck home. But when we, when we get caught up in the work of what we're doing, we lose the why. It's easier to say, I'm going to have a good attitude because I want to reflect the character of Christ in this really chaotic circumstance. I'm going to share the truth of who Jesus is and show grace when this person is being extremely ungracious toward me. In verse 27, Paul says, for I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. 
Truth gets so easily distorted. And Paul shows this wisdom here of sharing the gospel with these seasoned believers. He says, I know that there's going to be people from this group of leaders who's going to distort the truth after I'm gone. Watch out. When you hear a preacher or a teacher who has gone through years of training and years of ministry and they start saying something that you discern in your heart is not in the biblical word of God that doesn't testify with your spirit, then don't just swallow what they're saying. Say, Lord, is this true? Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you, to give you truth. Don't just swallow information. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying there's going to be people among you, wise people, seasoned Christians among you and start distorting truth. We have to test every spirit. I I think about how Jesus had a Judas and his disciples. And the Lord of the universe knows everything. And he knew that Judas would betray him, but he didn't kick him out of the 12 disciples. He let him linger till the very end. And here Paul is speaking to this group of his disciples, and he's saying, I know who's going to lead people astray. Watch out. We might think that it's someone else's job to confront unsound preaching, unsound doctrine, but God has called us as believers to test the spirits to discern what is true and what is godly and what is right and to not just receive it with a like a complete trust for whatever someone teaches us. You know, if we're having influence on the next generation, we need to own the fact that we are the current gospel teachers, gospel preachers, gospel givers to that generation and rise to the occasion. We can't wait for someone else to take the lead in leading others to Christ. We need to take that lead. Believers need to hear the gospel. I love that Paul is preaching to believers because we as believers need to hear the gospel. I've been following Jesus for a lot of my life, and I look at this, I'm like, yes, the gospel still has the power to change my life. I need to hear the gospel after so many years, and I encourage you, no matter how long you've been following Christ, allow the gospel, the good news of God's grace to continue to wash over you and transform you and draw you to him and watch out for unsound doctrine. Paul was bent and he stood on the power of the gospel of Christ. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. The gospel never loses its power. You may have been following God for 30 years. Maybe you had a dynamic life change. Maybe you like you grew up not following Christ and you were an adult and you weren't following Christ and then somehow God showed up and showed you who he was and changed your heart in a radical way and you go through the season of passion and pursuit of Christ and as you go through this honeymoon phase, it kind of wanes down a little bit and we get into routines. The gospel still has the power to change your life. You could be following Jesus for 40 years The gospel still has the power to change your life and transform you and make you to be more like Jesus. So now let's go, praise God. Now let's go to our list of evangelizing uh, people, telling people about the gospel. And we're going to look at the the sermon that Paul just preached to us. And we're going to ask, is 
the way that Paul is preaching to the elders wise? Well, he foresaw that there would be blasphemy rise up from seasoned leaders. And he set into action this idea of watch out, take guard, be an overseer, keep the gospel entrusted to you, keep it accountable, keep it faithful, keep it true. Paul was wise when he told the leaders to watch out. Did Paul share the truth compassionately with the elders? Yes. He stopped his journey and his deadline and his hurry to share his last truth to the leaders before he'd never see them again. He interrupted his schedule. And beyond that, he was suffered and persecuted for the sake of sharing the gospel of Christ with them in the first place. Yes, Paul shared the truth compassionately. And did Paul share the truth in a compelling way? Well, let's read what the elders, overseers, and pastors' response were to Paul's sermon. In verse 36, uh, Luke writes, When he had finished speaking, he knelt and prayed with them. They all cried as they embraced and kissed him goodbye. It was out of Paul's compassion that led him through hard journeys in order to share this truth about Jesus Christ. He was compassionate, and he called these same leaders to live in a compelling lifestyle that would draw people to know Jesus. I think about uh, Billy Graham, who passed away recently, and I've just been praying since his funeral. I'm like, Lord, who is this mantle falling on? What a profound person in our history of this past century. He preached to 315 million people the gospel of Jesus Christ. He had over 400 crusades. He preached Jesus in over 180 countries. And who is that falling on? It's Yes, it's falling on us. The anointing is on us. It's on you. It's on me. And not to keep it in this building or not to keep it in crusades. It's to take the gospel into your workplace, into your family, into Meyer, into Walmart, into the public library, into government institutions. It is our job to carry the gospel to the next generation. Praise God. Yes. And so I just turned 40 this year, and I, um, let me metaphor it for you. So I feel like most of my life I've been traveling up this mountain and growing and working and learning and getting my education and all these things, dreaming about what I want to do in the future and what I'm called to. And all of a sudden, I reach the top of the mountain. I'm at 40. I'm no longer building my life. I'm like here in midlife And I'm trying not to go in crisis. (laughs) But I do realize if the Lord would keep me alive, and if Jesus doesn't come back sooner, I'm going to start going down the mountain. And not in a bad way, but I'm just saying, like, I'm starting to leave a trail behind me on the next generation. And it's time for me to start pulling up the next generation and building faith and praying for the Lord to fill them with his Holy Spirit, to bring out spiritual giftings and spiritual truths that my kids and your kids would know the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they would carry the mantle and they would call people to repentance. So it is our honor tonight to have Jake and Maria Valtiera here with us, and we'd like to invite you to come on up. They are pastors at the Gathering Place.
They are pastors at the Gathering Place, which is in Greenfield. It's fun. We, we got to, me and Mandy met them at one of our, our district meetings where a bunch of pastors get together. And so we met them, and it was like, hey, you guys pastor church, and you're about like a mile and a half away from our house because we're right there in Greenfield. And so it was just really great to meet them. Um, I know that for a lot of you, you've never met them before. So let's kick it off and just tell us a little bit about your, your calling in Milwaukee and how you got to do what you're doing right now. I should introduce myself in my indigenous language. So I'm Ojibwe from way up in northern Minnesota. And uh, part of our standard protocol in our Native American communities is we introduce ourselves. We say our name, our clan, and our tribe. And so I want to say Mino Dibakat, good evening. Gagwejiwaj Nindijnikaz, Maria Ijnikazo, Makwan Nindodem, Miskwagami Wizagaigan, Nindonjaba, Minowaki Nindas. So uh, what I said is my Indian name is, he wrestles with creator and man and prevails, and uh, in English I'm called Jacob Valtiera. This is my wife, Maria. We've been married for going on 12 years. This, is that right, honey? Yep. I almost forgot that this uh, it, um, are, are, are you clapping for the 12 years, or are you clapping because he remembered the 12 years? He remembered Probably the 12 both. years. It's important <laughs> that we know. But I'm Bear Clan from the Red Lake Nation way up in northern Minnesota, and my wife is full-blooded Mexican. And around 2012, the district uh, church planning director started to kind of recruit us, and the timing was never right until about 2017. And uh, I felt like I got a download from the Holy Spirit one night in October uh, uh, of 2017, and the Lord told me to go to all the 12 tribes that are in Wisconsin and pray for one hour that God would begin to heal the land. And so I took another pastor friend of mine, and we began to do that work, and we began to repent on the things that have happened on this land for hundreds and thousands of years, even things we didn't know about and just trying to be led by the Holy Spirit. And then on, on that trip, we heard of Milwaukee, and we never visited Milwaukee. We never really, we don't have any family here, any friends and someone said, you know, there's a large urban Native American population in Milwaukee. Would you guys consider going there and starting a church? And so by 2018, we had made it over here. And then in 2020, we had our church service, our first church service in September of 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic. And so out of curiosity, uh, yeah, we, we can clap for them. This is awesome. Um, out of curiosity, uh, who in the room knows that they have Native American heritage in their lineage? Yeah, we got quite a few. Can, can you, for those of us who don't have that experience, can you tell us what that was like for you growing up or when that became an important part of your identity? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I was raised in the Twin Cities. So, um, you know, 70% of Native Americans actually live in urban areas. They don't live on reservations. And so that was my story. And just not really knowing who I was ethnically and some of my background. I knew I was Native American, but I didn't know... Uh, too much about it. I had never heard my indigenous language until I was in my early 20s, and it sounded really foreign to me. Um, I participated here and there in just little, you know, community events, but not really much of it. And so when I got over here to Milwaukee, I took an Ojibwe class uh, for three years so I could learn my language. And then I actually work at the Indian Community School, which is just, uh, what is it, east of here, west, just west of here, um, in Franklin. And uh, I'm the transition coordinator there, and God kind of uniquely, strategically put me in position to be in the heart of the school. There's uh, around 400 students and 230 families from over 30 different tribes from all around the country, majority of them from the, uh, from the Wisconsin area. And so um, a lot of the families have been able to, co- to connect with us and start coming to the church and learn about who Jesus is. That's so cool. So... Help us understand that if, if I have a, a neighbor that is Native American or someone that I meet, that I work with, like what often would be the spiritual starting point 
for someone who's, or is it just so many different things? You want to take it? You want me to? Sure. So I would say the number one thing that really helps in terms of sharing your faith is making sure that you have an established relationship with that person. Never just generalizing, oh, you're Native American, that means you're this way. Um, that it happens too frequently um, amongst, amongst our Native American community. And so I would say learning about them and asking about their specific tribe. Now, one Native is the same as all Natives. And so there's different tribes, there's different languages, and the languages speak to the culture of how the people interpret and view the world. And so I would say um, just starting off with a relationship barrier and Native people are already full of so much faith. They already believe that there was a great peacemaker that walked the earth over 2,000 years ago. They already believe in a great flood. They just don't have the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. And so one thing that we like to do is we like to hone in on that a little bit and say that Jesus is like a native man. He is from a tribe and the tribe is Jewish. And he has a tribal name mm -hmm. and his name is Yeshua. And he has a skill, he was a carpenter. And so we kind of try to bring that similarity to help bridge the gap. That's so cool, that's so cool. Yeah, you know, I think about, you know, just the spaces that we don't know, we don't understand. And I think for a lot of people, this would fall in that category. If we don't know, we don't understand. I think I've got a lot of uh, Latino people that are in the room tonight, you know, and if someone <laughs> knew you were Mexican, but assumed that you were Puerto Rican, or vice versa, <laughs> right? It's like, to you, it's clearly not the same, but to someone else, it might seem the same. And a lot of that's copied over into other cultures. Our blank spaces of the things that we don't have. Uh, tell me about one of the families you've gotten to work with or that you've gotten to, to know here in Milwaukee. Um, there's a family who's actually, well, you know, our church, we consider it intertribal, and so we have people from all different tribes. You don't have to be Native American to attend our church. We meet at, on Saturday nights at 5.30, and so we have people who attend from all kinds of different churches, and we're very international, but our primary focus is reaching the urban Native American community, and uh, one family in particular, before we ever had our first church service, I got a call from uh, this Potawatomi family, and the matriarch of the family is an elder, and she said, Jacob, you know, I grew up in church, but I haven't been following Jesus for years and years, but I, pastor, will you come and share the gospel with my family? And so I didn't really know what to expect, so I go how, to how does that? How does that happen? Right. Just because like how did they know who you were? The community's so small, and there's not there's really a very small amount of credentialed and licensed Native American pastors, uh -huh. and so if if they hear of one, it's kind of like really big news, and word spreads kind of by mouth really fast. I mean that wild. I mean because we, we we've talked you know through this whole series about those moments where Paul was given a unique invitation into someone's culture to speak something. And that's where, you know, as you share about your unique invitation, it makes me think about all of us. And, and what is your unique invitation? What is the room that you'll get invited into that no one else could be invited into? I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, so I go to this house on the south side of Milwaukee, which is, for me, because I grew up in the inner city, was not that big of a deal. But, you know, that can be a, really, a real challenge for some people to go into kind of a dangerous neighborhood. And um, so I was just outside praying. I didn't know what to expect. I go in, and there's just a whole family, about 15 people. So, like I said, the matriarch of the family, and then her three adult children, kind of in their mid-30s. 
and then some of their children who were some teenagers and then a bunch of kids running around. And so she called them all to attention and said, hey, past, the pastor's here. Everybody sit down. He's going to talk to us. And so I just was put on the spot right there, and I started to share the gospel with them. And really because of ex exactly what my wife said, exactly what your wife was preaching about relationship, relationship is so important. And so I started to go into my personal testimony of being a gangbanger and a, and a drug addict and a prodigal, and I'm being raised in church, but then falling away from Christ, but then accepting Jesus back in my, in my young adult years and just to build relationship, you know, to bridge that gap. And they all sat there, and they were really respectful, and they listened to everything I had to say. So sharing my personal testimony, then sharing the gospel. And I said, does anyone, okay, does anyone want to give their life to Jesus? And all, all of them, 100%, they all raised their hand, and they said yes. But listen, I never got a 100% response. So I thought, no, they must have misheard me. So I told them I, again. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure Pastor Brooks has ever gotten 100% response. It's <laughs> a pretty good score. I, I was really shocked and I was amazed because this family, you know, not to speak down of them or anything, but a lot of challenges. You know, they're all in very different places. A lot of, a lot of uh, you know, like dysfunction and chaos and, and, and historically had not, you know, been the healthiest family, just so to speak, you know, if you can catch my drift. So, so I just shared it again, and I shared it, and they, I got 100% response again, and I shared it a third time just to make 100% sure, and they all said, yes, we want to receive Jesus, and I kind of walked them through a prayer of repentance and asking Jesus to forgive them, and, and they all just prayed that prayer and repeated after me, and so then when we first had our, one of our pre-launch services at Malone Park in New Berlin, we rented out the pavilion, and we had this metal tub, and we filled it up with water, and we had a, we we're just inviting the community to let, let them know who we were. We're going to be starting this church, and that whole family came, and a bunch of their family members got water baptized that day, and it was just, it was amazing. And that's a huge part of the beginnings of, of our church. Maria, can you just share about your family and maybe how we can be praying for your family and, and your church kind of with what's, what's ahead in the next year or six months? Personal family? Yeah. All righty. So... Jacob and I are blended and blessed, and we have five children and two grandchildren. And our oldest is here today, Jasmine, if you want to raise her hand. <laughs> She's here today from the Twin Cities, and our two grandchildren are back in the children's wing today. Um, we have four kids that are eight and under, so it's eight, six, four, and three. We both work full-time jobs, and we both do the ministry full-time. And so, as you can imagine, that's exhausting. <laughs> but the Lord... Don't they look amazing? They look really... <laughs> but we have to give it to the Lord because when you're called to it, the Lord will truly give you everything you need and he will sustain you through it and he will give you the endurance. And in those moments where we feel like we need to throw in the towel. We got to get out of this. Like, what are we doing? We never get to go on the vacations. Everyone's going up to the cabins. When is that going to be us? You know, and that, that temptation is easy to, to sneak in. Um, but we get these glimpses of encouragement and hope, and people will send us something out of the blue, and it's right at the right time, or somebody will text us and say, the Lord put you on our heart today. We were supposed to pray for you, and you're just like, God, that's what I needed. I needed a, a heavenly touch, and, and he will do it in that right time to just lift our head, right? He lifts our head. And so um, I would say one of the biggest things in our church family that we're praying for and that we're really um, looking for, I should say, is, you know, we, we are looking for a, um, a steady worship leader. That is something that we need um, 
you know, to kind of put it into perspective, it feels like, you know, sometimes we live paycheck to paycheck, right? We feel like we live, we're functioning off of worship leader to worship leader each week. And that's hard trying to find somebody that can encompass what we're hoping for in the atmosphere of really allowing the Holy Spirit to have his way in that, in the service and allow for him to move and, and, and be. Um, the second thing that we're really in, in desperate need of is our children's ministry. We have a growing children's ministry, and we have children who their parents, we, we, um, we were gifted a van for our, our ministry because we have children that um, were highly mobile and were homeless, and they were living in a hotel, and then they moved and we bust them, and their parents will never come to the service, maybe once or twice if the kids have a, a church service event going on um, in front of the parents, but their parents hardly ever come, and so we need somebody to really help upscale that. So we are truly looking for um, somebody that we can bring on with us to help us upscale children's ministry, kind of like that family life pastor that can resource the parents and help bridge the gap in that way. Those are our biggest needs as a, as a growing church. Our, this church is a supporter of this couple and of, of their ministry, and we want to continue to do that in every way that we can. So out of curiosity, if someone here wanted to drop in on a Saturday night service with you guys, how would that experience be different from any other There's kind of two church? primary things, as I was mentioning this morning. We use indigenous language kind of as much as possible in our marketing materials. We don't, it's not like a bilingual type of thing, but I try to sprinkle in different indigenous phrases and relate them back to the Bible and the Word of God. And and because language is culture, and so when we understand language, we can understand who God has created us to be, and then we can relate it back to his word, and it just, it just makes his word come alive in a, in a greater way. And the second thing we do is we kind of incorporate indigenous dress. And so for us, dressing up is not a suit and a tie, even though most people don't dress like that anymore. But uh, we wear ribbon garments, and we wear what's called regalia, and so sometimes I will preach in handmade moccasins that were made for me or a ribbon vest. And we wear different beadwork. You see my wife's earrings here. These are, these are just handmade things. They're not really expensive, but they have a lot of sentimental value. And we practice reciprocity, reciprocity in our community. And so we always are gifting things to one another. And we're always taught, you know, not to ever show up without a gift and uh, to be able to honor people, uh, you know, who are kind of partnering with you in ministry. So That's awesome. Can we stretch our hands out? We're going to pray. For this couple here. Lord, we love you. We trust that you are good. We trust that your ways are above our ways, that your solutions are above our solutions, and that your plans are above our plans. And I pray, Lord, that you would just do a phenomenal work with Jake and Maria. I pray that you would open new doors in this community. We know there are hurting people in this city who need a path to the gospel, and you have called them to build that path. And I pray, Lord, that as they take this step by step, you would anoint them and that we would see great growth come through this church and through the efforts that they're doing, that they would be able to know that you are with them. And I pray, Lord, that you would, you would teach us tonight, that every single one of us, we aren't here just to uh, cheer on other people to be missionaries. We are here to learn and to be the missionaries that you've called us to be. And I pray, God, that in our conversations tonight, that you would push each one of us. There is someone that we are the ones who are specifically crafted to reach. There is some room that we may be the only person given that invitation to walk into that room. And in that space, Lord, let your spirit speak to us, allow us to be wise, compassionate, and compelling in the way that we preach the gospel. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we see you in person. Join us Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. right here at Discover Church. Find us online at discoverchurch.org.